All right, we are rolling now, counting us down. Three, two. You're listening to Missing Out with Lex Michael and Tari J. Let's start the show. Hey there, Misketeers. Welcome back to Missing Out. I am Tari J. I am Lex Michael. And if this is your first time listening, what we do here is we introduce each other to different media, whether it be movies, music, television, spoken word, books, experiences, things that have built us up as people, and we hope that in sharing it, it builds you up. We are the retrospective that's introspective. Tari, let's do our ABBA show. Hell yeah, mama mia, it's gonna be a good show. But it wouldn't be a good show without our good friend, Caprice Castano. Yeah. Great to be back again. Yeah, great to have you. So you brought this movie to us. So hey, hey, why don't you pitch it? If someone is on, someone's on the fence and they're like, what's this? Why, why should I watch this Queen of the Desert movie? Let them know. It is a beautiful romp about three drag queens traveling across Australia's outback. That's all you need to know. <laughs> That's it. All right. Yeah, I'm sold. Okay, good. You should be. Wow. This movie is starring Terrence Stamp, Hugo Weaving, Guy Pierce, Bill Hunter. This is an Australian film, really, I feel, groundbreaking for its time, uh, depicting LGBTQI individuals in a positive light, showing their struggles, letting people uh, empathize with the things that they go through, and letting people see them as people, which I thought is Great. Lex, have you seen this before? I had never seen it. I knew it only by reputation, so I was very much looking forward to an opportunity to finally catch up with it. And yeah, I was struck, A, Tari, by the aspects that you were just referring to, um, but also, while the movie is very funny and does play up, you know, sort of the more outlandish aspects of you know, their their act, you know, the act that, that uh, these characters put together. Um, it's also very surprisingly tender um, and very surprisingly human. And I was very much struck by those elements as well. I thought this managed to be, yes, very fun and very lively and very entertaining um, and very humorous, but also very affecting in ways that I was not necessarily prepared for. And it got me all, got me all emotional. I like to know at about nine in the morning if I'm going to have to feel anything that day and i was not prepared for this um it like it really it it got me but i thought this was great coming to it new i was able to have sort of this this really fresh interesting and yeah like very moving experience that makes me so happy this is one of my all-time favorite movies and anytime anyone says oh have you seen tu wong fu and i'm like no (laughs) it's not about tu wong fu it's about Priscilla, because you know Tuong Fu is just a massive ripoff of this movie with like not the heart and not, you know, the actual kind of grit that this movie has. Damn. Hot take about Tuong Fu. Yeah. Boo. Tuong Boo. Oh, damn. <laughs> no, it's still fun. It's still fun. But it's just, you know, this this movie touches on more of the reality, you know, in Tuong Fu, everyone is in drag the entire time. They're like not real people. They're just right. like these characters. And it's just kind of. I don't know. This is not as good. Yeah. 
I, I get that. I haven't seen two Wong Fu, so I can't make the comparison. Ah. I will say, I know that they were made around the same time. So uh, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert was made in or released in 1994. Tu Wang Fu was released in 1995. There was some worry by Stephen Elliott, who wrote this film, that, you know, they were going to be a competition. But he read the script and was like, ah, it's different enough. And I assume that his thoughts were yours, which was like, their shit's scratching the surface. I'm getting that deepness. <laughs> and honestly, I mean, it really, it's three well-known American actors in drag going across country for a show. It's not that different. Uh-huh. In Tu Wong Fu, they go to a town and like make all the women pretty. It's very strange. Like, I don't know. It's very weird. But I would still, I mean, it's, it's still fun. I would check it out, especially right. after seeing this. But only after seeing this. If you haven't seen Tu Wong Fu, watch Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, and then watch Tu Wong Fu. <laughs> I would say. That's the take. If you t- take nothing else away from this, this episode, it should be that. Also, I promise I will bring a movie that doesn't have Guy Pierce in it one day. <laughs> no. All movies have Guy Pierce. You can't always see him. It's true. You cannot always see him on screen, but Guy Pierce, his energy infuses the very craft of cinema itself. I mean, this is one of the first ones that you brought that wasn't either immensely gothic or super dark. That's a thing. Pretty extreme in the opposite yeah. direction. You are seeing the full spectrum of my totally. personality now. You contain multitudes. <laughs> no one gets turned into a walrus in this movie, which was actually my one disappointment. I went in hoping for some walrus violence and got none. Uh, well, at the end, we have some um, animals. We have dragons and... <laughs> yeah, it's some birds. Some birds. So, I don't know. I'm sorry, no walrus, yeah. but... I mean, one could say that the, the tour bus is like a walrus... You know, it started out as this metal machine and then gained some, like, flavor and, and flesh tones to it, like a nice lavender coat. That was like being turned into a walrus. Is that, is that your breakdown of the plot of Tusk? Is that it's a story of a man who is hollowed out and filled with flavor? Yeah, oh basically. God. He breaks down multiple times and has pieces of him removed and replaced with an, with other uh, pieces and eventually becomes the thing that you want or the thing that someone wants them to be. Same movie. That's right. That explains the classic Justin Long line from Tusk, which is, I have a tanning bed inside me. Yes. It's just so sweet how hard you're trying to make this comfortable for Lex. <laughs> like, <laughs> he can't watch a movie unless you can compare it to, to Tusk in some way. It's very sweet. Tusk is his, like, six degrees of Kevin Bacon. You always have to bring it back around to Tusk. Where the fuck is my walrus, man? <laughs> so. <laughs> I can see that on a shirt. Where the fuck is my walrus, man? Yes. Let's make them. It's not too late. It is not too late for us to have merch. That's true. It's never too late to have merch. I like it. And it's just like you. It's like you with popcorn, like angry as like a cartoon sitting in a theater. Just like a thought bubble. I like I like I have the popcorn, but I'm like shaking the popcorn angrily at whoever I'm demanding the walrus of. And it's flying all over the place. I'm completely unawares, preoccupied as I am with my need, my pursuit of walrus man footage. We'll just splice some in, honestly. Like, that's where it goes eventually, is that, like, to preserve my feelings and my well-being, 
Atari uses some kind of predictive software to guess what I'm going to be watching that day, then slips in and edits a, about a minute of walrus footage into the movie. Just cuts <laughs> yes. like this Justin Long in the, in like the suit it. from Tusk into, you know, like, so I'm watching uh, uh, Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, and, you know, like, Guy Pierce is like, okay, we're going to do our ABBA show now. And then all of a sudden it cuts to the walrus man being like, and I'm like, this movie's fucking good. Twists and turns. They're, they're melding tones together in ways that I did not anticipate. Oh, shit. And uh, I feel better. And it's it keeps me from having, you know, like, it keeps me from disassociating. Because if I go too long without seeing a walrus person, I start to feel fear. I'm like, is it ever going to be okay again? And then I see the walrus man, and I, I know that at least for now, uh, it is. Yeah, because I would say, like, the last time I saw you, you had just witnessed the walrus man and you were i've never seen you happier so i get it it's the, yeah it's the giddiest i've ever been right I think. right mm-hmm. because not only had i just seen the walrus man i was talking to more than one other person who can confirm that in fact i did see the walrus um and that they saw it too welcome back to part two of our tusk podcast <laughs> psych <laughs> we had to take some time and since then Lex has been slowly turning himself into a walrus. And so it's it's also a projection of his own insecurities about his incomplete transformation. And so he's screaming at the screen, but really he's screaming at the mirror going, where's the walrus man? Where is the walrus man? And it's inside you the whole time. <laughs> Because I was hollowed out and filled with flavor. Of course. <laughs> it's like I wake up one morning, I'm like, oh my god, where's my leg? Oh, that's right. I'm filled with flavor. <laughs> yeah, this is very like, I like this premise. It's very Human Centipede 2, right? Where the person watched the movie and then like, re- yeah, let's make it, Lex. Tusk yeah. 2, you want the walrus <laughs> man inside of you. Whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good. I, that's the that's the title. I like to think that Kevin Smith would find that funny enough that he would uh, not sue us. Oh no, I'm choosing to believe that. Yeah, he'd be like, I just want producer credit. Yeah, just put my name on it somewhere, but somewhere small. Yeah. Meet me at Veggie Grill. Like, I don't want anyone to think that this was me or I had anything to do with this, but I do want my taste. Yeah, you got to get that back end. Speaking of back end. I think we should start moving this towards the back end of the podcast by starting to lower down that spoiler wall. So we're, we're slowly cranking the, the handle to lower in that physical spoiler wall. So if you haven't seen any Priscilla Queen, or I guess the adventures of Priscilla Queen of the Desert, and you super duper want to go in as unspoiled as possible, then this is your chance to jump off. You can catch it on Tubi TV. It is also available on Amazon. Uh, I'm sure that you could get a dope ass Blu-ray somewhere. Lex, did you get a dope ass Blu-ray? That sounds like something you'd do. You know what? I haven't yet, but it's entirely possible that I that I will. I got to look at what physical releases of this movie are available. But uh, as I mentioned, I enjoyed this quite a bit. Yay. And I was quite taken with the characterizations and the performances of the leads. And this is very much a movie that I would revisit. So it is entirely possible that I will, in relatively short order, own a copy of this. Hell yeah. So get it in your brain and then you can come back and listen to us talk about all the stuff unless you'd like to power through and then we will catch you after the break in the meantime while we're giving you time to reach for that dial you can also 
go on to Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating, a review. That helps us get to the top of the charts, helps other people find us. Because you know, the most potent form of marketing is word of mouth. So use your typey-typey fingers to tell people what you love about the show. And, uh, you know, give us a five star if you are feeling so inclined. Because that is a kindness that we love. All right, now that that's all out of the way, we will catch you right after this break. And we are back. We're going to do some spoilers. We're going to do all the information. But you know what we got to do first, right? We got to do that buster recap. And Lex... You said that you wanted to recap this so good, oh, you, you were willing to, to drive across the country to do so. <laughs> so uh, let's hear it, baby. Entertain me. Yes, I'm now hollowed out and filled with plot synopses. We open uh, with uh, Anthony Belrose, who goes by the name of Tick, but also goes by the drag pseudonym of Mitzi Delbra, played by Hugo Weaving. Hugo Weaving plays this uh, drag queen in Sydney, Australia, and his estranged wife, manages uh, this like hotel casino that he gets an offer to perform at. And so uh, to put this act together, he gets uh, a couple of his friends, fellow performers. One of them is a transgender woman named Bernadette, played by Terrence Stamp, who is uh, mourning the recent loss of her partner. And Adam, who is played by Guy Pierce, who is uh, super flamboyant, super, just super energetic, super excited to be there. Uh, also goes by the name uh, Felicia Jolly Goodfellow, which is one of my favorite details from this motion picture. And they go on a journey together uh, in a bus, which Adam names Priscilla, the queen of the desert. They go on this road trip to this gig. Um, and so what we get is this uh, nice sort of road hangout movie with these characters. And we travel with them as they they go through the desert meeting all these different characters. They meet a group of uh, Aboriginal Australians and they perform for them. They also bump up against a number of uh, super regressively, uh, regressively focused uh, bigots. And they're on the receiving end of a bunch of abuse. But at a certain point, their tour bus breaks down at which point uh, Adam covers the outside with flavor, paints the thing lavender, uh, and they meet uh, this guy named Bob, who's a mechanic and a very nice man. He's a a gentleman, uh, one of the last of a dying breed, and he ends up joining them on their journey. And as they travel together, you know, before they reach their destination, Tick reveals that even though he and his wife are estranged, they are still uh, technically married, that the reason they're going to do this gig is, is sort of a bit of a kindness uh, to her. Adam is almost killed by a roving band of demonic homophobes before uh, <laughs> Bob and Bernadette have to intervene. And, you know, uh, this entire time, Adam and Bernadette have sort of been at odds because Adam is like sort of like the young, the young rapscallion who's just a little bit too gung-ho for his own good. And Bernadette is sort of on the other side of that where she is carrying around the weight of years and the weight of sadness and loss and and certain regrets and they're able to you know following this attack and and the rescue of adam they are able to sort of come to a bit of a meeting of the minds um, find some some common ground together and then mend some of those fences they're all sort of able to come to a, a relatively healthy place of understanding with each other one of the things that they're able to do as this sort of big climactic bonding experience is that they climb uh, king's canyon in their full drag regalia which was a dream that adam had so they arrive at the hotel and you also meet in addition to tick's estranged wife you meet his son 
Benjamin, who he's not seen for a very long time. And, and Tick is terrified that if his son is exposed to his drag work, it could be very jarring for him. If he's exposed to the fact that, you know, his, his dad is homosexual, maybe it's very jarring. Maybe his son will reject him for it. But he comes to discover, and I swear to God, this got me emotional, comes to discover that not only does his son already know this, but his son is completely on board and completely supportive. And so they do their show together. And once they've completed their show, uh, Tick and Adam decide they're going to go back home and uh, Benjamin's going to come with them. And Benjamin ends up, when we, when we end the movie, we have Tick and Adam performing together with Benjamin watching them and supporting his father from the crowd, which I thought was so dang sweet. And Bernadette decides that she is going to stay at the resort with Bob, with whom she is uh, forging a connection, forging a relationship. And when we leave Bernadette, we do so with the hope that she can find something for herself that is uh, more real, more fulfilling, more permanent and more meaningful than what she has been experiencing up to this point that no longer carries for her the same joy and same fulfillment that it once did. And uh, I so wish her the best because it, it really, it, Oh, it moved me a lot. So that is more or less, uh, in a nutshell, the plot of uh, The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Also, the soundtrack kind of rips. Like, I forget <laughs> that I'm an ABBA fan until I hear ABBA. And I'm like, oh, that's right. My Look at my head go. Look at my head go in every which way. Look at, look at it. Oh, yeah. Look at know. it. That was a, a beautiful summary, Lex. I had to ruin it at the end by being like, look at my head. But, uh, <laughs> but yes, I... It's a it's a really nice story, and it's um you know obviously we were just able to lay out the plot, but it's it's far less of a plot driven movie and way more of a just a, it's a hangout movie. It's a way to spend time with and get to know these characters, um, as opposed to something that's heavily driven by plot. A any plot is largely incidental to let's spend time with these characters, let's get to know them, let's experience what they experience along with them, and let's uh, revel in their successes and uh, feel sadness along with them when, when things don't go uh, particularly well. But, but yeah, not, not heavy plot, but very heavy on character. And, and these actors, man, like, we'll talk about these actors, but wow. <laughs> um, wow. I mean, why don't we talk about the actors? Because this, for me, was the youngest I'd ever seen Hugo Weaving uh, my first exposure to him was The Matrix, and then I think after that he blew up and he was like, I'm an elf now! Or he's like, I'm a, I'm a racist red man face. Um, and so... Wait, what's racist? Oh, uh, he was Red Skull in uh, uh, the first uh, Captain America? Captain America, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, okay. <laughs> Righto. Yeah. Uh, Caprice, how did you find this movie initially? I've been a huge fan of drag for many years, and this is just in the ether. Um, it's referenced a lot. The costumes are referenced a lot, and so you know, I just, I just, it was something I had to had to see because it's always talked about. And uh, yeah, that's that's how I found it. Do you go to like drag shows and stuff like that? Yeah, when the when the world existed, I did go to a lot of drag shows. You know, I like Drag Race. Yeah, just generally been a part of the of, of that scene for, for like four or five years now. Um, I've actually done drag. Oh, cool. I've been a drag king before. My character is named Guido Von Slacks. All right. And he's this like Italian, like coke lord, like nasty 70s dude with like a big mustache and like gold chains. And yeah, it's great. It's a, it's a good time. Yeah. Um, I, I don't. And I also like realized, I don't know what you guys think, but you know, the like uh, 
by Felicia thing. Do you think that came from this? It came from Friday specifically. Oh, it did? Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, I was like when rewatching it today. I was like, is that a part of this? I mean, I will say that like there is a chance that, you know, the the creator of Friday may have seen Priscilla Queen of the Desert. I believe that came out in 96. So there's a chance that uh, that uh, he had seen it. I think that was F. Gary Gray and was like, all right, I'm going to name this this character Felicia just to like really uh, have that be a super duper in joke. And then like two decades later, people were like, bye, Felicia. And he's like, ha ha, it has finally come to fruition. That sounds great, but I really doubt that. But thank you for that. You don't know. <laughs> It's true, I don't. I mean, F. Gary Gray could have been <laughs> like this. This movie won uh, at Cannes or, or Cons. I don't know how people pronounce it because French is weird. And it also won it won an Oscar. So like, F. Gary Gray could have been like, hell yeah, I love some drag shit. And then I doubt that you know. Now he's like, everyone's using my thing. But I'm sure that like there is a chance that he had seen it and been like, bye, Felicia, and been like, hell yeah, the, all, only my drag friends will know. I, I mean, I like the idea of it. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Lex, you had brought up the acting. Uh, so circling back around to that, I really uh, enjoyed Terrence Stamp as uh bernadette i think that that character really grounds the movie and really gives it a lot like there's a lot of depth and and a lot of like really grounded moments but i also feel like that character has the biggest arc throughout the movie yes very very much so but also i think it's worth noting that of our three leads Comparatively, Terrence Stamp was already a veteran. He had been working in film, television, uh, and I believe theater since the 60s, if not earlier. And he, of the three, I think at that point would have been the only one that was really known to American audiences because 10, 15 years earlier had played General Zod in the Superman movies. So he, he was a known quantity in a way that at that right. point, Hugo Weaving and Guy Pierce would not have been outside of Australia. And Terrence Stamp in this movie, again, like you were saying, I think is absolutely wonderful and makes Bernadette so incredibly human. And I think it is so, especially uh, in 94, when the conversation surrounding transgender women was certainly uh, nowhere near as nuanced as it is today. Um, I think that they did a really incredible job creating a very tender human portrait of this character. But also I think it's worth noting that were this movie made today, presumably uh, it would not be Terrence Stamp or an actor like Terrence Stamp playing this role. Mm -hmm. I feel like this performance, this this casting choice, I think, is very much a byproduct of the specific time and place in which the movie was made. But I think that the movie is all the better for it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, yes, I think that if this movie was remade now, it would be portrayed by a an actual like trans woman and i think that that would be great because i think that we've gotten to that point in our society where we're allowing the trans community to portray themselves on film which is amazing or digital if you want to be pedantic but i also feel like yes i think that it was a uh, especially back then when it was believed in the film industry that playing someone in the LGBTQI community that like it was basically career suicide 
And all of these actors really put everything they had into this movie. And we've seen that like their careers have continued to flourish. So it did not uh, have that effect that all of the fearful Hollywoody film types believed because they're all assholes. Um, <laughs> so I, I'm glad that this movie was able to prove them wrong. Something fucked up about that. And this was in the trivia. So I don't know if it was true or not. But it is rumored that uh, Terrence Stamp, when he was playing the character, his thought process was, he's like, I'm playing a beautiful woman. But behind the scenes, the director told the, the costume designer to make him look as ugly as possible. I don't know what the reasoning was, and I don't know why, but like later, he apologized for making that call. And I don't, it's weird. I, I want to know the background of that specific piece of trivia but i do also feel like you know terrence was fucking killing it as bernadette he, he was like i'm fucking sexy <laughs> not for nothing if that was the the goal uh, on the part of the director yeah i don't think that play was successful because i think that bernadette <laughs> is quite if i may say so uh i feel like bernadette is quite lovely and put together and and almost regal in this movie so i feel like if the goal was yeah. to sabotage the character aesthetically didn't work i agree also i just was um looking up so there was a musical version of it that came out in 2006 and bernadette is still played by a straight straight man just saying. <laughs> Just saying. So uh, the entertainment industry is not perfect. We're working on it. Yep. <laughs> and that's how I feel about just it. I, I just wanted to see. Just wanted to take a look. What I was really impressed with too with these actors is the um, their lip syncing capability, which is like a huge part of drag performances. But it is very impressive how well they do mm -hmm. and how well they perform. Well, it's also it's not just the fact that they're able to lip sync, but it's also the fact that the way they are controlling their breathing actually does make it seem like the sounds are emanating from them. Whereas if you're just lip syncing to something right. like it's why if you're shooting a musical, they tend to really want the actors to actually sing on set, even if they can play a, a backing track for them because it looks super weird when you're lip syncing and not breathing so i do like that yes they're they are able to and it makes sense that these characters would be very proficient in this way but it's a detail that you really don't think about until it's not there um it looks very much like they're actually properly uh managing and controlling their breath while they lip sync as well they're very good mm -hmm. yeah like they put on it not for nothing like the actors had to put on this show they had to learn the routines and they had to be able to do it themselves they put on a pretty great show yeah i agree and they're all like very entertaining performances and like beautiful costumes like every single performance in this movie is so fun to watch like the performance with the aborigines is like it's so incredible and so memorable and like just that scene alone and then there's like five more scenes like it <laughs> it's, yeah. it's pretty insane something i really liked about that aboriginal scene like when they their bus breaks down uh and essentially one of the campers comes across them and brings them in and everyone's kind of just like hanging out by a fire and singing songs and they're just pretty much accepted off the bat and i love that because it it's a reminder that like you know the aboriginal people in uh, Australia at some point became uh, oppressed because, you know, colonization, etc. And so, like, people who face oppression all know what it's like, and so they're more open to accepting people who are seen as other. And I just, I liked that moment in that, like, it wasn't a big deal. They were just like, hey, yeah, yeah, you're welcome. I, uh, We love you. 
But oh, oh, I just remembered jumping back to Bernadette really quickly. And this is more of a PSA. But at a certain point, two or three times, uh, Adam dead names her. And if you're unfamiliar with the, the term dead name, it's that like when someone transitions from one gender to the other, you know, they will typically change their name. And it's a really big shitty thing to do to use their former gender name, you know, which is called dead naming because that name is dead to them because they're not that person anymore. And in doing so, you are effectively rejecting who they are. And I know that like, Adam's character doing it was just to get a rise, but it's not cool. And don't do that. This is your PSA. Don't dead name, you piece of shit. Uh, or you good person. Thank you for not doing that. I also like that it's not taken lightly as and as a joke. Like Bernadette like beats the shit out of him. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. It's amazing. Like it's even you know it's still like it's not made fun of mm-hmm. that he does that, which I really appreciated. So just that was the end of that that uh, little piece. Uh, but, oh, I like that. That's great. But yeah, we were talking about their performances. And them having to learn all those different routines. I imagine also like them having to just jump from different outfits to outfits was also really, you know, well, one, I assume it was super fun. Uh, but also like in their their not final performance, but I guess their final performance together as a trio, the seamlessness of them transitioning from one set of outfits to the next was amazing just like there's a moment when they're all birds and then one of them goes backstage and then they become the dragons and like it's i assume it's something you can only do on film because like it takes a while to switch up that makeup and and all your outfits but i thought that that was super well shot yeah i love and i love that like one of the you know dragons pulls someone off stage and then they like comes out. It's like the dragon ate the bird. It's so good. Uh-huh. It's so fun. Oh yeah. Oh, and then the like the Marie Antoinette light up hair. And, <laughs> so good. Oh, <laughs> trying to think what the best costuming is. I don't know. I mean, I I really like the like weird plastic look when they go into the first town and they all kind of like have plastic hair hugo weaving has like a sandal dress <laughs> oh yeah, yeah 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 i love that that is so <laughs> great i think my favorite outfit slash set piece was every time guy pierce's adam does the opera from the roof of the bus oh yeah and they have like the flowing like the first one where it looks like it's essentially uh mercury that's that's flowing behind him and the next time they do it it's just like a a a red drape like that thing that set piece to me is probably my favorite thing in the whole movie yeah it's so iconic oh yeah imagery is amazing and also the blow-up doll being used as a kite oh yeah (laughs) one of my favorite little things about the movie um is and i only know this because i i sat through the end credits to watch the the drag performance that plays next to the swirling credits but there's that tiny little tag at the end of the movie where the kite finally comes down somewhere in asia oh yeah (laughs) um, which i thought was which i thought was a very nice little touch yeah so something that i have a question about that maybe you can't answer caprice but maybe you can what was the deal with the the running lady with the little siren behind her? You know, I I don't know. I think that's just kind of like an inside joke that like this one person is like going as fast as they are. Because you see it a few times. Right. I don't know. It's not really exp- I like that it's not explained. It's just Yeah. 
It's just part of it. I don't know, and I don't know what that robot is. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, like I, I was like, is it, I was like, is this an alien? Like I got that. Like they are going at such a slow pace that this person on foot is is essentially keeping pace and passes them up. But it's just like such a weird set piece. Like it's something that I would expect to see in like I don't know rubber. Or, um, or like, I don't know, dude, where's my car? Like, something like that. But, okay, so... It feels like an inside joke to me. I feel like... Also, I was just thinking about, when we were talking about the costumes, that, like, they had to wear... It didn't look... It didn't look cool out there. The temperatures didn't look nice for giant headpieces and stuff. Right. I'm wondering if, like, someone's brain melted a little bit in the writing process. It was like, I got a great <laughs> idea, guys. Let's just have someone running by with a robot. And they're like, that is great. Let me take off my 50-pound uh, flower headdress, and I'll write, this, I'll write that in. Like, I don't know. It just feels like a little brain-melted concept. Right. <laughs> It's like like the the one guy's writing and everybody else they're just all messed up from the heat they're all just like ha, 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 yeah ha, ha, ha. and then they watch they watch dailies like the, the at the end of the day and they see the footage and everybody's like who's that <laughs> you guys really liked this yesterday <laughs> um so I he I'm gonna talk about something that I I assume that everyone feels like this is problematic so it's not a hot take. But the wife character, the, like the Asian uh, wife, uh, yeah. is yeah. Uh, it's rough. It's it's real rough. Yeah. Um. Not, so not I mean, I just thought I'd address it. If, you know, I'm sure that everyone at home is like, talk about the ping pong girl. Do we have to? There's so many other things that I'd rather <laughs> talk about. <laughs> we don't have to go too far in depth. Uh, just acknowledging that we saw it, it's problematic. One thing that I, even though, I guess two things about it that specifically intrigued me. One is that her her fervor for wanting to perform, I think I found very funny. Like that moment she's sitting in the chair, sweating, staring at the cabinet, I thought was just it it was cinematic genius yeah because we hadn't gotten to the worst part of it the way she her her like me so horny speak already was a, a problematic piece and then ha- the way that this her whole arc ended was was rough but also the other thing that intrigued me about it yeah um was that that character or that actress played rita repulsa in the mighty morphin power rangers movie <laughs> God, that's her. Oh, whoa. Yep. Whoa. That's her. Um, (laughs) So, and that was like a year after this. And so I love the idea of her going into a casting office and then being like, what else have you done? And she's like, oh boy, let me show (laughs) you. I like to think that this is the Rita Repulsa origin story. Like she was in this in this marriage. She desperately wanted to perform and didn't oh, get a wow. shot. Then her marriage falls apart. She's like, fuck it. I'm going to fight the Power Rangers. That, wow. <laughs> I, I like how that adds up. I, I'm going to turn the Green Ranger into a walrus. <laughs> and then you're like, before, and before you even see the credits, oh, you're like, no. fucking like, oh, no. oh, no. But that's the hallmark, right, of a great uh, auteur and shit, that you know it's my work before you even see my name. I'm a, little, I'm a little scared now. This has gone on a little too long. Nope. It's it's just the beginning. 
Does he do this with every guest, or is this just me? Oh, it's just you. You're the <laughs> oh, only one he feels shit. free to to expose his true self with. <laughs> Everyone else, he's he's like hiding and he's meek and he's he's just like, yeah, you know, this this movie's really good. Uh, but inside, he's like, oh, walrus man. Uh, and and so, like, once they leave, he goes, I, I held it together, but I almost got him. Uh, and but you 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 bring it out of him. And he's like, I feel safe with you. Yeah. You know, it was weird because I did make the whole thing with the Tusk podcast is I like promised we do it like years ago. And he's just like, are you ready yet? Now I like now I get it. I did not forget. Yeah. yeah. Like like a walrus, never forget. I was like, I'm so close. I'm so close to getting everything I've ever wanted, and so I couldn't. Let it, it all go. it all adds up. It really does. Um, but he he like had to make you do other movies beforehand, so he didn't come on too strong. It was like testing the water yeah. to see if he could really, you know, like when you when you're you're setting boundaries and you're like, all right, here's the thing. I guess it's the opposite when you're when you're testing someone's boundaries because you're uh, a bad person and you're like here i'm gonna do this and they're like i guess i'll let that go and you're like <laughs> i guess i'll do this and they're like i guess i'll let that one go too and you're like oh i got them <laughs> it's like it's like the frog in the boiling water right if, of course if if you only if you turn them into a walrus very gradually piece by piece by piece they will not oh, notice until one day they wake up and they have gone full walrus. <laughs> oh my god! And like, and they're just they look at the, they look in the mirror and they can't they can't really form words anymore. It's like, but they're thinking, "Who was I?" <laughs> yeah, it's dark. Yeah, very dark. Yikes, bikes! I'm not encouraging this behavior any longer. It was right. funny, and now I'm scared. I mean, if it if it makes you feel any better, I pictured it as more of Lex transforming himself into a walrus and slowly being like, "You like you like long teeth, right?" And his and all of his friends being like, "Sure." And he's like, I'm going to, and then they're like, he's like, you know what? I feel like I've been going swimming more often. What do you guys think of that? And they're like, okay. And he's like, I love fish. What do you guys think about fish? And they're like, uh, okay. <laughs> and so like slowly, and he's like getting them used to accepting the aspects of walrusry so that he can finally become the walrus he's always wanted to be. And of course, like my friends know me, and so they've known the entire time exactly what I'm getting at, but nobody wants to say it first, so everybody just lets me continue to dig yeah. this hole. Yeah, I mean, because they want you, they don't want to like push you into doing it. They want you to feel comfortable enough to just let yourself become the walrus. Cuckoo, cuckoo. Right. And then like having that conversation, like, I think, I think Lex is trying to be a walrus. Right. Like, like, right? He keeps eating raw fish and sharpening his... I don't know. Yeah. And, and, and everyone's like, oh, you're new. Yeah, he does this. This is his whole thing. Um, you know, we're waiting for him to, like, him to verbally acknowledge it. But, like, it's it's his whole thing. He wants to be a walrus. He's, he's, don't, don't even worry about it. Just let him be. And he'll eventually... Do the full walrus thing. He's been saving up a long time. It's it's fine. 
my you know, big fear, my big fear was that my eight-year-old son would not accept me as a walrus. But it turns out he's known the whole time and is completely on board. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Your son has actually had uh, like a, a set of walrus teeth that he's been waiting to show you, uh, and you've been avoiding him this whole time. It's a tragedy. He's like, Dad, can we eat raw fish when we get home? And, and I'm and I'm like, because I'm a walrus. <laughs> But like a single happy tear rolls down your face because it's the words you've been waiting your whole life to hear. <laughs> I'm just like, it is. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, speaking of the sun, I really like the way that this played out. There's there was a I guess it was a slow mystery throughout the the movie where Hugo Weaving slowly unfolds his motives for going to uh, this small town and helping out his wife. And so the first bit is he has a wife. Then the next bit is they're still married. Then the next bit is he doesn't know where his sexuality lies because of that. And then you find out he has a son and it like takes you all the back, all the way back to the beginning where uh, he got the news of his son's sex uh, when he was in drag and stuff and you have this whole scene it's fun but i also love how relatable that scene is and this idea of like wrestling between what you think someone wants from you and who you truly are and not knowing whether they're going to be able to accept that and i i really love how it plays out that like his son is super chill. His son's like, yeah, my mom had a girlfriend and like, I hope you have a boyfriend because I fucking love dudes and I want to like hang out with a bunch of people because it's fun. I want to see your show. And Hugo is like, oh, oh, oh my gosh. I didn't, I didn't know that. I didn't know that I, I wanted to hear those words and I do. And now I'm crying. You will be, you are crying too, right audience? And everyone's like, <laughs> yes. That's accurate. <laughs> that, that was my thought. Exactly. Yeah. Like, all they had to do was raise him not to be an asshole. Yeah. And it worked out. Mm-hmm. Also, kudos on on her raising him. Right. Like, that's incredible. And look what you get. You get a kid that's not an asshole. Go it's pretty wild. Imagine. <laughs> <laughs> also, I really liked that resort. I think I just missed going to places, but I was like, damn, I want to, like, get a giant daiquiri in that, like, smoky, like, dark casino and like spin that wheel. Ugh, man, <laughs> I miss you guys miss things. I miss things so much. I feel like in the future, uh, pornography is just going to be footage of like interiors of nice places. <laughs> it's just going to be POVs of like hands just drinking a beer, waving to people, shaking hands. It's going to be so good. It's like that when I get when, when I like finish my work for the day i'm gonna put oh, on walking yeah. hotel lobby Ew. Ooh, yeah that's that's gonna be my top Ooh. one i'm gonna i'm gonna put on a concert and it just says concert like no the artist is not specified <laughs> the genre is not specified you put it on and you're not you can't even it's just so like a weird hodgepodge of styles that you can't really describe to anybody what the sounds are it just says concert it's like it's like putting on the radio in the sims <laughs> Right. But live. Uh, what I like to do is I'll watch concert and then I'll mute it and put on my own music. Uh, that way, like, I can really set the mood, customize, you know. Um, I also like 
the subset of concert where you choose where at the concert you are. So you're like, oh man, I'm I pick front row, and it has like vibrations, like people are pushing you, and you hate yourself, um, or like it's like seats and you get to just kind of stand up every so often and like it moves. Cause you're, tr- you, you have to like move to, to get from behind someone who keeps standing up in front of you. Uh, Oh man. Ooh, yeah. That's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to get really freaky, you can do DMV. It's like two hours long and you're mostly standing in line. And then someone sends you to the back of the line at some point. And then uh, you're waiting around again uh, just for someone to call a number that you stood in line for. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Yeah. I, I like uh, that. I just paid $60 for Sketchy Drug Deal, which has been out of print for a while. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Because you have to do that, like, that uh, really sneaky handshake exchange thing that you do. Yep. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah. That's my favorite. Now, after. Uh, DMV and concert. Now I'm just getting sad. (laughs) (laughs) Because this seems like as plausible a future as us getting to return to things. Yep. Uh, yep. This pretty, it's pretty dark. It's pretty dark. I mean, I don't know. I, I'd watch it. (laughs) I mean, if not just for the, just for the technology, because like someone has to be in those environments and do it. So like, at least just, you know, to make jobs, you know what I'm saying? Well, that would be that would be if they were to remake the adventures of Priscilla, uh, Queen of the Desert today, that's sort of what it would be, right? Like they don't go anywhere. There's no bus or if there's a bus, they can't get off the bus and they just stream and and sell pre-recorded versions of their show so that we can watch it without going anywhere. Mm. I wonder if they on in the musical version are still lip syncing or if they actually sing the songs. Mm gotta think they're actually singing them right i don't know who knows yeah i don't know maybe like when it comes to the like it's not like a jukebox jukebox musical in that like when it comes to the licensed songs they do the like lip sync performance but then they have songs about how they're feeling so uh right after they finish doing finally like the the character on stage goes to another area and is like, my eight-year-old son, my eight-year-old son, will he accept me? Will he accept me? And then they're like, oh, I guess it's time to do the next song. And then they do the the uh, ABBA song, you know? Like, it could just go back and forth between that. Yeah, I like that when they're doing their their performances, you get the ABBA stuff, and then when they're not, it's like Les Mis. I'm trying to figure that out. What's, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> no, it's all it's it's nothing original. Okay. Um, in that case, there's room for us to to make it. <laughs> so I think it's just generally like a drag show, but like with the plot. That's what it looks like to me. Yeah, that's cool. That sounds fun. All right, so I think we're getting to the end of our time. We're ru- we're running out of time. Oh boy. Our, our 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 bus is breaking down and 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 ooh man, Bob can't fix it in time. So we we just got to use the rest of our gas in the broken tank. Uh so do you guys have any final thoughts about Priscilla 
queen of the desert. I guess for me, one of the biggest takeaways that I I really haven't touched on yet is how uh, I feel like even though these characters do take a great amount of abuse from certain people that find their way into their sphere, I do think this movie makes about as compelling a case as I've ever seen for sort of like taking up this type of, of work. Like it looks so insanely fun and it seems so like the, the joyfulness when they're really in their zone and in their groove and like really going for it, the way these characters are completely owning themselves. It's, it's like in mask work, right? Like part of what happens when you put on the costume, when you put on the makeup, when you put on the wig or, or whatever you've got on, yes, you are uh, in a sense like covering up physical aspects uh, in one way or another, but it enables parts of you that you maybe aren't always able to present. It enables those parts of you to be completely free. So like your truer self may actually come through in that way. And to be able to live that, right? To be able to boldly and fearlessly live in your fullest truth. I think it's it's incredible. And it's something that I think is truly enviable. Um, now, of course, as we see, there are elements of their experience uh, that are otherwise. But I think it is so... I don't know. For me, I watch this movie and I'm like, oh, I absolutely see how I, I see the appeal of this i actually see how if it was me doing work like this i see how absolutely joyfully fun this could be you know and i i feel like i don't maybe that's one of the better compliments that i can give the movie it's just like it really successfully correlates their work with with jo like pure joy and pure self-ownership and I think it's fantastic. And it, it doesn't feel like it's something the movie gestures towards. It's something that I think is really effectively dramatized and works both uh, on a sort of intellectual level, um, but also I think works exceptionally well on an emotional level. And, and like I said, like the stuff with the Hugo Weaving character and his relationship with his son, like it really at the end of the movie, when they get to perform together, when it's, uh, you know, Bernadette has stayed behind and it's the Hugo Weaving and Guy Pierce characters and his son is in the audience watching and, and cheering him on and having an amazing time it really did it affected me emotionally because to be your fullest truest uh, boldest self requires bravery requires fearlessness and and that is because there is always the chance uh, especially when your truest self is something that a lot of people will perceive as you know quote unquote not normal you know you can be on the receiving end of a lot of abuse and so it takes an incredible amount of boldness and strength to live in that truth. And so to see that his young son, there's not even a question of acceptance, of love, of yes, be your fullest self. And, and you're my dad and I love you so much and it's okay and I, I, I support it, it's awesome. Like it really hit me, like in a pretty intense, profound way. Um, I, I genuinely, like I'll use the word, I think it's genuinely beautiful. Um, I dug this movie a lot. So Caprice, thank you for bringing this to my attention because this this did a whole bunch for me. Yay. That's it. What about you, Caprice? Do you have any final thoughts on the movie? I mean, Lex hit it pretty pretty hard. I was kind of, yeah, I was just basically going to talk on how, how it shows drag and how important it is to show it correctly. And I feel like this movie just knocks it out of the park, even for the age that it's at and how Drag has, you know, it's gained so much popularity because of RuPaul and the show and everything, but this movie is so... Because, like, even, you know, um, Paris is Burning, even something like that, that's, like, another look at balls um, and, and the history of drag. It's... I mean, there's so much I can go into that. I don't, I'm not going to even go into that. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's just nice that there is 
a film made in the early 90s that can I mean there are problematic things in it obviously but it's still it's still done in a tasteful way that is still enjoyable and you know can get you in a good mood also make you cry but I feel like this movie generally gets you in a pretty good mood and you know I can appreciate that in these times uh, of, of hell on earth so <laughs> <laughs> yeah I agree I uh, agree with both things that you guys have said and so I I won't diminish it by adding my own thoughts because they're the same. Uh, so, Caprice, thank you for joining us. Absolutely. This has been super fun. Where can people find you if they want to talk to you about stuff, if they want to see you do things? <laughs> you can find my band, um, Lava Works Inc., on Instagram at Lava Works Inc. Uh, I mean, I'm also on in- Instagram at AUN.TWhispers. That's just like can see some film stuff that i've done but yeah if you want to if you want to talk to me make fun of me come on come on by i'll, I'll be around i'm pretty bored so. <laughs> um don't make fun of her we will beat you up lex if they want to make fun of you though where can they find you if you want to collab with me as we insert walrus content into every piece of media uh i'm on twitter and instagram at the lex michael and also I do a podcast with my partner, Marianne Ramish, that is called Friends with Benefits, in which we break down the entirety of the massive pop culture juggernaut that is the television series Friends, of which she is a very big fan, and I am to date not uh, at all. And so we're going to be breaking this thing down episode by episode from a critical perspective and a fan perspective. It's streaming now on HBO Max, so you can watch it along with us. Uh, Friends with Benefits. Come check it out. We're having a real good time doing that. You can find it wherever you find your podcasts uh, and Tari J if people want to make fun of you where can they do that Ah, uh, yeah if you want to fucking roast me bro you can come to my twitter at Tari J T-A-U-R-I-J-A-Y fucking tell me everything make me cry uh, <laughs> but if you want to catch this podcast you can do so on twitter at missing outcast that's M-I-S-S-I-N-G O-U-T-C-A-S Oh, really, really quick. Um, I I promise I'm a walrus is not taken on Instagram. (laughs) Uh, This is your chance, Lex. Yeah. Just putting it out there. Just putting it out there. Oh, boy. But yes, uh, this is the end of our August series, All in the Kool-Aid. And we hope you've enjoyed our entries into this specific theme next month's theme is going to be cinema lit 101 baby and you can bet it's about to be lit up in that b lexa what do you what what does that even mean what is this theme well so in the before time uh september is around when uh, a lot of people would be returning to academia in earnest obviously uh, at the moment not necessarily the most advisable uh or viable Options. So we figured, why don't we uh, educate uh, a little bit? Why don't why don't we assign some coursework and shit? Hell yeah! What we're doing is we're going to be taking a look at adaptations of uh, classical literature through a cultural prism that is different from 
the sort of cultural landscape from which the thing emerged. So for example, uh, William Shakespeare wrote Macbeth, which was later adapted as Throne of Blood by Akira Kurosawa. He transposed the material set the story in feudal Japan. So that is a perfect example of the kind of thing we're going to be talking about. Uh, so y'all, you, you can get up on your classics and you could be like, thanks missing out for teaching me some stuff because the world's on fire and everybody's like, ah, and they're not teaching me. And thank you for teaching me and not screaming. And we'll say, you're welcome. Hell yeah. You know, I'm so we- glad I got in on August because I would be bad at this month. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, where, where's all the... Where's all the zombies and the drag queens? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Tusk is totally based on Faulkner, so we're going to talk about oh, that. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, we're just going to do uh, variations of Hamlet. So, you know, a couple episodes of Gargoyles, the animated series. We're going to do uh, Lion King. <laughs> we're going to do Kenneth Branagh's uh, Hamlet. Um, shit, what else is Hamlet? <laughs> <laughs> there's, uh, there's the Mel Gibson Hamlet. There's uh, uh, yeah. Benedict Cumberbatch um, recorded on stage, Hamlet. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I also, I, I bought a manga in uh, London that is a manga version of Hamlet. Uh, so we're going to do that also. I have to assume that there's a version of Hamlet starring Porky Pig, because that sounds funny. And I'm going to find it and we'll do that one too. <laughs> oh. Hell yeah. Oh, um, oh, <laughs> you could say we're going Hamlet. Oh, Hell yeah. Okay. Uh, that's <laughs> enough. lit. Thank you again, Caprice. This has been super fun. This has been super awesome. So fun. And thank y'all at home for listening. We hope that you enjoyed this month. We hope you enjoy next month. And we hope to see you next week. Until then... This has been the retrospective that is introspective. And now you have a new perspective. And I still have a tanning bed inside me. Time to get nice and tan in your guts.